is The Next Trip Podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 113, operating on January 24th, 2022. This is Doug, and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Drew. We're two geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Drew, we received some feedback from a friend and former guest, Francis. He said that I talk way too much about my flying. I've kind of figured why not. This is an aviation podcast after all, but I do respect your feedback, Francis, and I promise to throttle back or decelerate or <laughs> hold short or whatever other okay. aviation term fits with not talking about so my bad. flying as much. That said, Drew, how was your week? Is this like a continuation of the dad joke stuff? <laughs> it just, those are all came, bad. <laughs> it just came to me as I was typing. I was like, I, I have to make this this semi-serious <laughs> topic somewhat funny, self-deprecating. Well, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this because he probably wasn't even serious. He said, yeah, it seems like the podcast is becoming Doug's pilot memoirs. <laughs> well, I'm to blame because we'll be done with a segment like your trip and I'll be like, but wait, tell me about the 737-700. So I'm as to blame if we talk too much about the pilot stuff. Speaking, (laughs) we're going to talk more pilot stuff in a a moment, but uh, (laughs) as we just apologized, bad snowstorm. It was hard and fast. One to four. It was ended up being four inches. Mm -hmm. This was on uh, Saturday. No, I'm forgetting now. It was on uh, Saturday into Sunday, Saturday into Sunday. Yeah. Uh, no. It's, yes. It was the, so yeah, the main push it started. Yeah, it started like down. It started in Iowa on Thursday or Friday, and it, it, watching it on the on the radar was really weird, Drew, because it went south through Arkansas, and then it picked up all this water off the Gulf, and it started churning north. Atlanta had a bunch of flight cal- cancellations. Charlotte essentially shut down. You were yeah, you were out nice. of the worst of it. You were lucky. You were out of the worst of it because if you were in Charlotte, man, that would have been like airport closed basically (laughs) well yeah i keep saying these events are blending together because it's been so bad this year so far and we have another one possibly tomorrow morning Mm. not that much like one to two inches but anyway yes so it actually so we got the brunt of it sunday afternoon uh i worked saturday night and i stayed at the airport saturday night in a hotel to help them with the startup on sunday which is normally my day off days off don't matter during uh snowstorms mm. thunderstorms anything bad that don't really matter that much and then what did i tell you i told you so doug's sitting in philadelphia and you have to deadhead back home you're not flying so they're they're shipping you back home and i told you <laughs> don't whatever come, you do avoid... don't come through dulles yeah <laughs> yeah so doug goes to the hub that is having that is in in mode in uh swap code red <laughs> Yeah. which is what we call it when we're in the when we're in the heat of uh, battle. But what did you do? Well, it's it's funny because crew scheduling probably looked at it and said, hey, open seats will we'll ship in through Dulles because there's tons of open seats. <laughs> kind of like when you and I went to Myrtle Beach and there were mm-hmm. tons of open seats and we didn't look at the weather and find out that it was the worst monsoon that they had in 30 years or something like that. So yeah, cr- crew yeah. scheduling was like, all right, go through Dulles. That looks great. Wide open. Yeah. Was it? It's a trap, Obi-Wan. It's a trap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a trap. No, it was, it was awesome being able to see you. I, I mean, it, it's funny how it worked out. You weren't even supposed to be at work. And I was on a, a trip that I was flying that got all kinds of changed around and ended up then deadheading home. I was on a 787-9, my first time on a mm-hmm. on a dash nine. 
And I got to see everything that you have talked about on, on the show. It was awesome. We, we had to delay pushback. Uh, and the, and the captain was, was very good about talking about why. And he said, they're going to delay our pushback until it's almost our time in the de-ice pad. So we, we delayed the pushback and then we pushed back and we sat there for a little bit right off the gate waiting. And, and again, he said, we needed to push back because the crew needed the pushback team had to go to a different gate and then push another airplane back. But we're still going to sit here for a while before we go to the de-ice pad. Eventually, we taxied over. I got to see the mobile lounge sitting mm-hmm. out there with, yep, with the de-icers drinking their hot chocolate. I got a picture of that. Did you see that. them drinking hot chocolate? No, I didn't. But <laughs> but I, I knew that that's, that's why the mobile lounge w- was out there. Yeah, and then we pulled into the pulled into the de-ice pad and we we got a clear coat which is type one we've we've talked about the the de-icing fluid previously and i timed it it was 31 minutes and 45 seconds from start okay. of application to finish and, we, and we've talked about right. how a 787 and triple seven take a lot more time there were mm-hmm. i, I want to say there were two 737s that came yes, and went in the time on either side of you uh, yeah i could only well i could only see the one on the left side when we showed up, there was a 737 that was just starting. He finished and left, and another one came in and was almost, excuse me, almost done by the time we left. So that was really cool also to see just the difference between the the heavies and the narrow bodies. Well, I was preparing you. I was preparing you for the worst because it said prepare for a long slog, but it actually went as planned. Mm-hmm. And the delay that you took was actually minimal for a de-ice operation in snow. It was. We, we got into San Francisco. We had really favorable headwinds. The, the flight westbound, of course, it was on a 787, so they were probably cruising at Mach 8.8 or something like that. But the flight westbound, mm-hmm. Drew, was actually shorter than my flight from San Francisco to Philly the night before. So you know why? Because we're watching these weather patterns. Mm-hmm. That storm came in. It was a low. From- yep. It was a low, was a so low. We, had, we had the tailwind for, for right. the first Right, it swung around. Because mm-hmm. it, it came in from the Midwest, it went south, and it swung around yeah. back towards um, back towards us. So yeah. you got that, that tailwind. I just want to talk about the takeoff, though, Drew. I was going to ask you for Oh, <laughs> my goodness. That was the most powerful takeoff. I have I, I, flown close to a 1,000 times in my life, and I think that was the most powerful takeoff I have ever experienced. And here's the reason why. 787-9, which is meant to take off with a huge fuel load, lots of people, lots of cargo, and fly really long distance. The airplane wasn't, it was it was full, but not terribly full of passengers. There were open seats. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of cargo going to San Francisco, especially. Zero, probably zero. Yeah, especially in the weather. You know, there, the, I didn't see any cargo get loaded, so we were light. In, in that situation, the runway. And that's a business travel. It's a mostly business travel market. So you probably have very few bags. Yeah. Very few check bags. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it was a contaminated runway and because we had type one de-ice fluid, it had to be a full power takeoff. True. A full power takeoff in a light 787. <clears throat> as soon as they spooled up the engines, I was thrown back into my seat. <laughs> That's awesome. And, I, and, and you, you know, like everyone who's listening to this podcast has taken off before. And, and you feel the acceleration. And then after a while, you kind of stop feeling the acceleration, even though you're still accelerating. I was still feeling the acceleration of this airplane until we cleaned up, uh, until we passed oh, wow. 3,000 feet and, and started to 
bring the flaps and, and the slats in. Drew, it was an amazing takeoff. Getting out of there like a bat out of hell, it literally. It absolutely was. It's, <laughs> yeah, that, that airplane was like, see us, snow. We're going to California. <laughs> well, you know, I keep telling people a 787 just levitates. The thing just wants to fly as it is normally. Mm-hmm. And with full power, oh my goodness, you probably use so little of that runway. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember when I've had a high power takeoff, and I'm sure I've had several, but the ones that come to mind is leaving Orange County. Because you yeah. have a high power takeoff, you climb really Short steep, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and then you power down. So because you're flying over some noise sensitive areas, I want to do um, a go around real quick okay. about last episode because, and I want to pre- I want to apologize to our listeners because I, I listened to that, like Doug, you and I both listened to that our d- conversation regarding <laughs> what will be the, <laughs> the prize fighter, the winner, and the in wide, the, bo- the large wide, the body. large wide body. Yeah, we we walked away yeah, and, and really we have just, a clear answer. I mean, that that was the closest thing to a fluff piece, you know, when it's not real news, it's just fluff. Because we didn't, I wanted to say we didn't reach a conclusion, but we did, Doug, and you you mentioned it at the end, and I 100% agree. So I think we need to put a period on that. What did you mention was uh, the 777 killer at the end? Well, I, I said that the 777, that people at Boeing called the 777, the 747 killer. I, internally, they called it that. And right. at, at the end, I said... If Boeing does go forward with a 787-10 ER or LR, that that could possibly be a 777 killer. You know, and I was thinking about that, and I think that's the secret because the 787 is newer technology than the 777. So really, why move forward with the 777-8X, right, when that's mm-hmm. a similar size to a 787-10? All you have to do is increase the gross weight, and you mm-hmm. have the range of a dash 8X. Uh, Boeing, if you're listening, go ahead and just do that now. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be much faster. You already have the 787 flying. Just put in a center fuel tank and we're good. Well, I've I've deadheaded in the last couple of weeks on both the 777 and a 78. Drew, I I texted you as I was sitting in my seat. and I I said, I think that the passenger experience is just so much better on a 787. I I don't know what it is. I I don't know. They they try and make the cabin look identical. They, they, They try everything, but just... Mm-hmm. I I don't know if it was just the av geek and me thinking about, hey, I'm sitting on a 787 right now, but it was just <laughs> the experience to me was just better than the the 777. I, I don't know why. I, I don't know if that's just some weird mental thing in, in my mind or if it really is the yeah. case. And we, we didn't fly long enough for me to really appreciate the lower cabin humidity and, and cabin altitude and everything. But it was, yeah, it was, it was an excellent flight. All right. So in conclusion, our choice is a 787-10. ER. We don't or know if LR. it'll be the ER or the LR. Hopefully, just go all the way. Just do LR, LR. and mm-hmm. have it be able to fly anywhere and done. Yep. Drew, we talk a lot on the show about both airline seats and in flight experience, as well as innovations in aviation. Our opening topic this week combines both of these, and it's really exciting if, in fact, it does what this article claims that it does. What, what am I talking about? Well, this is very interesting. Uh, Doug, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen this on Twitter or Instagram or wherever you get your feeds. So this is according to Forbes, a new butterfly seat brings live flat flexibility to single aisle aircraft. Europe has been using flexible seating for years, specifically in uh, short haul business class where airlines use the same coach seats, but place a small table between the aisle and middle seat instead of using true first class seats like US carriers. This allows them to flex the number of business class seats based on demand 
The butterfly seat is a new concept for narrow-body aircraft where business class seats are arranged in a 2-2 configuration for short, short haul. And in less than a minute, these can be transformed into a 1-1 configuration with lie-flat seating for longer haul flights. This design is already winning awards for design and practicality. And Doug, is this a game changer we've been hoping for to make narrow-body long-haul more palatable? And will airlines actually adopt this innovative new design? Drew, as we're talking about this, the listeners need to Google and look at the picture. It, it looks amazing. It, and it really is such a simplistic idea. It's these, yeah. it's 2-2 two, two seating, as you mentioned, slightly offset. And they're in like a little pod type thing. Not quite like the suites on Swiss or Singapore or anything like that. But it's it's a little bit more private. So it's it's it looks like a nicer seat than just the standard domestic first class. And then yeah, all, all they have to do is move this little partition between the two seats and it can turn into a single seat that then can turn into a lay flat product. Think of it this way. Delta is getting their first A321neo in the next month or two. It's just the, the regular neo, not the XLR, but it has mm -hmm. the range to be able to do JFK to Western Europe. Right now, right. they're they're just putting standard domestic first class seats on it because it's going to be used flying domestically. But if you mm -hmm. put if you put these butterfly seats on, now you have an airplane that could do Minneapolis to Boston with a normal two two domestic first class product, and then the the people on the ground in Boston could transform it into this one one lay flat product, and the airplane could continue on to Dublin or. Right. Or, or, or Glasgow <laughs> or, or, you know, something like that. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's, it, it creates such a versatile product for airlines who don't have to put these expensive one, one lay flat seats on that then end up running Minneapolis to Boston and you, you have half the seats that you can sell. Yeah. I mean, more about the seats so our listeners can visualize, definitely take a, pit, a look at it. But if you can imagine two, I would say like premium economy seats or two domestic first class seats. Mm -hmm. They are side by side, but but they're staggered. Mm -hmm. So that already makes it a better product because there's more, more privacy, privacy between those two seats, right? Mm -hmm. And then just like you said, to make it one seat, the divider goes away. The seat on the window side goes completely flat and that becomes part of your bed. Mm -hmm. So you kind of angle. So you're sitting in the aisle mm -hmm. and you kind of angle, you know, and that's how you sleep so that you have uh, more length there. Mm -hmm. But Doug, to me, it almost looks like it's better than a standard business class seat on a major airline. It seems like there's more, more room when those seats are combined. Yeah, it's not that coffin that people talk about, the, the, yeah, cramped, exactly. the cramped space. I, I think this looks awesome. I hope airlines get it. I hope airlines are listening to us. And I hope that all the passengers and, and our listeners reach out to the airlines and say, buy these seats. Yeah. Well, let's talk more about this. So I also, I went to the Butterfly website where they have different images of these seats. Doug, it also works in wide bodies. So if you can imagine a, a 777 mm -hmm. premium economy, right? You've got 242. So if you use these seats instead, you'll have these staggered seats. You'll still have eight across. But then if you want to fly it internationally or a premium transcon, you just convert it into four seats. Mm -hmm. So you have two, two. Wait, am I thinking about this right? So if it's eight seats across... Now you have four, so you have two, one, two, mm -hmm. or however you want to do it. Yeah, however you want to set it up. Yeah. Or one, two, one, which is what they normally have these days anyway. The other thing is, like, airlines could have domestically, that whole cabin can be a premium economy. 
And then when it goes international, you could have whatever combination you want based on what the load factor is, mm-hmm. which is so cool. And you could probably even change it within a dime at the gate. It's like, oh, we have more upgrades. Yeah, just convert two more rows of seats. Yeah, ultimately, that's that's what they already do in Europe. And, and you mentioned that with the Euro business class. I was on a KLM 737 <laughs> a couple of years ago, and the, the partition, the little cloth divider slides mm-hmm. slides back and forth mm-hmm. multiple rows based on how many business cl- business in quotes class seats they sell granted the seat is the same as an economy <laughs> exactly the same. exactly the same but they block the middle seat it's it's a better service than in an economy this is taking that to a whole different level right yeah i mean the business class in europe it, it's not much i mean just like you said it's an economy seat i don't even think that armrest really moves so the width is the same mm-hmm. But the middle seat is blocked, and I guess you guys, that'll be your cocktail yeah. table, right? Yeah. The, where the cocktail wants to go. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. I'm surprised it's only one manufacturer, Butterfly. You would think that there would be more. I think it's a great idea. I, I think it, it could work on many, for many airlines. Before we get into this week's news, we quickly want to address a concern from a listener, Aaron. He's a big fan of the show. Thanks for listening, Aaron. He mentioned that some of our news stories are dated once the show airs. We appreciate the feedback. Unfortunately, both of our work schedules and time commitment to prep, record, and edit many times were a little bit delayed in our news discussions. We do the best that we can given the circumstances and hope that you and the listeners can understand. In fact, Drew, I'm sitting partially in my uniform. As soon as we're done recording, <laughs> I'm headed to base to go fly. You are right. on, you're on an off day that wasn't supposed to be an off day that got comped because you came in <laughs> on an off day. We, we, we do what we can <laughs> and we, we apologize to the listeners. Yeah. I mean, we just find basically an hour and a half in the weekend. It's always different. Mm-hmm. Aaron, in our defense, <laughs> we will say even with these crazy schedules, we have not missed a single episode in 2021 and we're going to shoot for that this year too. But we are, we have day jobs. And I think part of why people listen to us is that we're actually working in the industry. So we're not just talking about it. We are living it every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes we talk about it too much on the podcast, but you know what you're hearing. (laughs) Francis. I mean, (laughs) we have your pilot memoirs and now I think I'm going to get complaints from my DI's diaries. The Ice King. Yeah. Yeah, DI's diaries. Yeah. It's a balance, and we will try. Actually, we we do this, Doug. Like, if we have a day that's closer to Monday, which is when these episodes air, we do shoot for that. Mm-hmm. Today is Wednesday, and I think last week we taped Tuesday, so we are trying to get close to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sunday, and it's not just the taping; it's the editing. You guys, Doug does a lot of stuff on the editing, and how long does it take? Like two to three hours. It's it's taken a little bit longer recently because I'm I'm trying to make it cleaner. It's probably four to five hours per episode, and I end up doing it on the on the balcony of whatever crew hotel I'm staying at in in whatever city. Oh, I got an idea. Okay, I got and this is not even scripted at all. Yeah, Aaron, <laughs> and I'm speaking to you, Aaron. Aaron's a rocket scientist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm not just saying that as a joke. The guy's a rocket scientist. So how about this? We do the episode. We do it on on Sunday night, like right before it's supposed to publish, right? We send the raw tape to Aaron, <laughs> who then does the editing. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll send him a next trip t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. So there's a solution. <laughs> well, Drew, what, what do we have going on this week? We have a few go-arounds on some things we've been talking about the past month or so. And uh Doug, this one's blowing up. This article is from CNN. Airlines asked the Biden administration for immediate intervention on 5G 
and we have an update on this because this is changing yeah, by the hour. This article, this article it, was yesterday, and even after it published yesterday morning, there have been changes in the last 24 hours. Right. So we're going to talk about what's uh, what's come up just today, which is Wednesday. But initially, I mean, yesterday, executives of 10 of the largest U.S. airlines asked the administration for immediate intervention in the planned rollout of this 5G uh, telecom uh, thing in, at major airports, warning of dire consequences for transportation and the economy. The executives wrote the ripple effects across both passenger and cargo operations, our workforce, and the broader economy are simply incalculable. To be blunt, the nation's commerce will grind to a halt. Well, talk about alarmist, but it could, it could. May, may have happened. Mm-hmm. So they continued, unless our major hubs are cleared to fly, the vast majority of the traveling and shipping public will essentially be grounded. This means that on a day like yesterday, and we're talking about the snow day. So yesterday was um, our snow day, uh, you know, based on this this article. More than 1,100 flights and 100,000 passengers would be subjected to cancellations, diversions, or delays. And this is because of visibility. They have to use these uh, landing systems at airports which may not function the way they're supposed to with these 5G towers. The FAA issued a statement saying it will continue to ensure that the traveling public is safe as wireless companies deploy 5G. The FAA continues to work with the aviation industry and wireless companies to limit 5G-related flight delays and cancellations. In a step forward, the FAA approved radar altimeters used in some Boeing and Airbus aircraft that will allow them to make low visibility landings at some airports. This lifts restrictions on about 45% of the commercial fleet and 48 out of uh, 88 impacted runways will be eligible for low visibility landings. Of note, the 777 and the 787 were were not included on the safe list released by the FAA. That's a big concern. Yeah. Well, and after, after this article came out and as we were writing this episode, then Emirates announced that they were canceling most U.S. flights ANA announced that they were canceling most U.S. flights, and JAL announced that they were canceling most U.S. flights. I think Air India said something too, which which I know we've talked about this quite extensively, and we said, are, are the U.S. airlines being alarmist? Why is it different from other places in the world that already have 5G? When you start seeing international airlines cancel flights, that's when you know this isn't just some infighting between the FCC and the FAA. There, there is some legitimacy here. And, and we found data or a, a graphic that the FAA put out that was double verified. I verified through the BBC, and I think you verified from NPR or, or <laughs> some, a, a local local radio station. You said, "No, I found it. I found that image on the FAA website. So it's an FAA publication." Yeah, but I, I think you said that you ver- you heard it on the radio. That yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's it's been yeah, it's radio. been verified. The difference is, uh, it was looking at the difference between the U.S. five G and, and France. And the U.S., the the signal is two and a half times stronger. The tower mm-hmm. points horizontally as opposed to slightly downward, which then gives this buffer zone that we've talked about. It's only 24 seconds, I believe, between the runway. 20 seconds. 20 seconds between the runway and where, where this buffer zone ends. Whereas in France, mm-hmm. it's 96 seconds, I believe. Uh, 90, 90 seconds. Na- 90- oh, wait, hold on. You're right. Yeah, ninety six seconds, and and that's permanent. That France's buffer zone, the the downward pointing towers, the less strength of the five G network, and that ninety six second buffer, that's permanent. Drew, this twenty four twenty seconds, whatever the FAA has, that's only the six month temporary 
ban or, or right. It's not permanent. So coming six months from now, they're going to boost it even more, which is why the airlines are worried about this. And and the argument saying, well, other countries have 5G and it works with aviation is kind of true. But at the same time, it's different because the U.S. is going bigger, going home. They're saying we're, we're going to we're going to boost the signal <laughs> to infinity so that everyone has fast cell phones and, and we're going to be the best country in the world for 5G. But it can't coexist with aviation, at least from, yeah, from what we're seeing right now. Well, this graphic that you sent me talking about the 20 seconds in the U.S., 96 seconds in France, and the signal being weaker in France than it is here and all that stuff. This is this is on the FAA website. So it's almost like the FAA is giving AT&T and Verizon a roadmap here. This is how you can fix mm-hmm. it. And we have we know that this works. Yeah. So I looked into. Uh, so this is what EASA is saying. That's um, European Union Aviation Safety Agency or EASA. They said, "quote No conclusive evidence of safety concerns." That's from EASA and CAA, which is the Civil Aviation Authority in the UK. They said they have no confirmed instances of any five G interference, and their parameters or their their safeguards are similar to France. So this shouldn't be so complicated, Doug. Just I match, mean, we have match. a model that works. Mm-hmm. Just do, yeah. yeah. Well, and T-Mobile, T-Mobile has had 5G for a while now, and and they've mm-hmm. throttled it back, and it seems to be working, and and no one's raising a fuss or a stink about T-Mobile. In the U.S., our signal is supposed to be two and a half times stronger, and the frequency that uh, we're going to use in the U.S. if this all plays out is uh, 3.7 gigahertz to 3.98 gigahertz. Aviation is four point two starts at four point two, mm-hmm. so that's really close. In Europe, it's three point four to three point eight. Okay, not only not only do they throttle back, but it's a different band, a slightly different band too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aaron's going to be upset because by Monday there's going to be more breaking news. Mm-hmm. What we have now is it's on hold, which is good. So the flight schedules aren't affected for U.S. carriers. As we said, a lot of these foreign carriers have canceled their flights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a big statement. Well, here's another go around that we have, and this is from the Wall Street Journal. An endemic pandemic can also make airlines symptomatic. Kind of a weird title, but we'll we'll wrap it up with, with the final statement at the end. A lot of really good information in this article, Drew. Delta announced a fourth quarter loss of $408 million last week. Despite the negative impact of Omicron, the loss was less than what analysts initially forecast. Delta said the travel hasn't recovered to where it had, where, to where it had hoped by now, but Omicron is far from a derailment of the travel recovery. There are consistent signs that the setback is just temporary. Governments are quickly learning that keeping tourists out and shutting borders fails to stop the spread of new variants. France, for instance, no longer forces vaccinated British citizens entering the country to have to quarantine. U.S. airlines think that the worst is over, something that investors agree with. U.S. airline index is up 7% already this year, compared to a 2% decline for the standard Poor's 500 index. Ultimately, we are transitioning from a pandemic that paralyzes the world into an endemic issue with which we can coexist, according to analysts. Regarding Omicron, Delta CEO Ed Bashan said, Our operation has stabilized over the last week and returned to pre-holiday performance. This article's author finished the article by saying, and, and this is where it, it comes full circle with the title, a mild variant is good news for airlines given the alternative. A chronic illness still isn't a sign of shipshape health, though. And basically what the what the author is saying is airlines, f- possibly forever, are going to have to deal with surges and, and 
things around the world. But if we can get past mm-hmm. the border closures and quarantines and things like that and just make travel easier because it's proven and I'm, I'm not trying to get opinionated or political here, but it's it's proven that shutting down borders and, and closing down things doesn't stop the spread. Ultimately, it, it does. It doesn't stop it from coming in your borders. It, it doesn't doesn't do any of that. As this turns into an endemic, if we can learn to live with it and learn to figure out that we don't have to have these knee jerk reactions every time there's a, a slight rise in, in cases. Yeah, you know, and we have to look at how economic issues also affect people's health and well-being, right? I'll give you an example. Sri Lanka, where I was born, is being crushed right now because not a, not the majority, but a lot of their income relies on tourism. Mm-hmm. And that whole industry is crushed right now. And for what? You know, you're probably, you probably have the same chance of getting COVID here or in Sri Lanka right now. Mm-hmm. So I think if if the transmission rates are similar, the restrictions between those respective countries should be lifted because why? What are you protecting your people from if the transmission rate is the same? The other concern I have, you know, where the travel is open, it's still really not because you have to get a PCR test. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people are testing positive to this new strain, Omicron, which is not as virulent, and we're canceling flights. Mm-hmm. You know, airlines are canceling flights because crew members are testing positive, mm-hmm. going or coming. It's it's really um, causing havoc around the system and they're testing positive and they don't know that they have it because they're asymptomatic right. and and there there are some silly restrictions and i talked to you about this yesterday i had to bring my dog to a vet specialist and when i checked in yeah. i had to confirm that i hadn't been out of the country in the last 14 days drew i right. i travel out of the country almost every week for for my job and if if that's the case and and am i more likely getting COVID in, in Mexico or in no. in New York. You, you know what I mean? Like, why why are we putting these border restrictions and, and caveats and, and things like that on on all of this? Like, it's it's proven that that's not going to stop anything. You know, I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. as likely to have gotten COVID at the grocery store as I was being in, in Costa Rica two weeks ago. Right. Well, I think when... When a pandemic is starting and you can isolate it to a city, mm-hmm. right? That's the time. I, then I completely agree. Absolutely. You need to isolate that. But we right? weren't. But it didn't. But, we weren't able to. No. So I think we're well beyond that. I think we're well beyond putting borders on this. You know, it's not. It's not. Not doing anything to help. It's just making life more difficult at a time when uh, economies are struggling with this lack of travel mm-hmm. or travel restrictions. Doug, poss- some possible good news for us old guys that <laughs> <laughs> still want to be pilots in uh, for their second careers. So this story is from Forbes. Hero pilot backs easy fix to pilot shortage. Just let us fly past age sixty-five. Wait, this is about uh, this is pilot stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not your it's not memoir. Mine. It's so not my memoir. Okay. Yeah. All right, copy that, Francis. It's okay. Jeff Skiles, the first officer from U.S. Airways fifteen forty-nine, the miracle on the Hudson thinks the mandatory retirement age for pilots should be raised. I, I'm not sure if everyone who knows what Miracle of Hudson, the Miracle of the Hudson is. That's mm-hmm. when Captain Sully landed an A320 in the Hudson River because there was a bird strike or bird ingest, birds ingested into both engines. Dual engine failure. And he was able to land that thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, these two pilots, that whole crew were heroes. No, everyone survived. But I digress. All right. Congress increased the the age to be a pilot to 65 
from 60 in 2007. Skyle said, raising the mandatory retirement age again is something that should be looked at. The retirement age has always been arbitrary. It never reflected any kind of medical science. Risk in the cockpit is mitigated by mandatory medical exams every six months, as well as there's two pilots in there. Skiles also said we do have to acknowledge that as you get older, you lose some motor function and lose some memory, but you also become very experienced. Experience doesn't make up for physical decline, although it's not the same for every individual, but certainly with robust testing, you could extend the age. Can I just stop for just do a segue right here? I have been in my seat as a shift manager since 2013. Mm -hmm. I am much better at my job than I was what is it? Eight years ago? Yeah. Nine, so I'm eight years, years older. Ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that age help, makes me better, right? And so it's not necessarily making you worse. I mean, it's not motor skills, but you know, you do think a lot mm -hmm. in that where I'm sitting. All right. This is from the Allied Pilots Association. This is the union that represents Southwest pilots. Their spokesman, Dennis Taher, said the pilot shortage results from poor planning by the industry. Quote, it is not a reason to consider raising the retirement age, unquote. He also said, this is a pilot pipeline pro problem, not a pilot shortage. After a pilot obtains a commercial license, the supply chain breaks, and many are not finding the ability to to build their experience in hours. Yeah, Drew, I, I think that he made a great point. The extending the retirement age, which I think probably will happen in the next couple of years, whether it's 70, 67 and a half, I, I don't know. I think it will happen. That's a Band-Aid. All, all that does is it kicks the can down the road, which is what they did when they extended the retirement age to 65. We need to figure out, and I know Delta is doing this with Propel, United is doing this with Aviate. We've talked about these these programs. The, the problem is the cost for students fresh off the street costs over a hundred thousand dollars to get all of your, all of your certifications and training and build the experience and everything. Do you know, do you know how much it is by the way? Yeah. It's, to get all the way up yeah, to a commercial. Yeah, it's over a hundred thousand dollars, 50, yeah, 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. And a lot of, well, it's, it's 75,000 to get your instrument commercial. Mm -hmm. Cause I'm just looking at the prices at the little flight school I went yeah. to and it was 75,000. I'm like, that's a lot of money for me. I can't imagine if I was just, you know, trying to go into college yeah. and pay for this. The yeah, the, extending the the age will just prolong the the problem. It, it'll which may not be a bad thing. It'll give us five That's not a bad thing. five more years or two and a half more years or or whatever age they they settle on to figure out the yeah. the pipeline, but this spokesman from the APA is is 100% correct. The pilot shortage is a pipeline problem. It is getting people motivated to to do it in the first place. But the problem mm -hmm. is you spend $75,000, $100,000, take out big loans, and then you end up having to, to teach at a flight school, not making a lot of money, go to a regional, not making a lot of money. This is big debt with not a lot of pay. And that's why people are, are not getting into the industry. We need to figure out how to make it easier for people who want to be pilots, who want to be commercial pilots, to, to figure out a way to get into the industry. Because right now, that is that is ultimately going to be the roadblock to figuring out this pilot crisis. I think one of the solutions is these universities that have an aviation department, your tuition should include getting all these ratings, perhaps. Because mm -hmm. you're paying all this money to go to university, just throw this in. Yeah. You know, you're in school anyway, just mm -hmm. to choose uh, to fly on. But my question, Doug, and I know you, you have not gone this Route and it's probably a question for John DeBray or our other listeners, or even Stephen, who was on the show, right? Mm -hmm. He was um, a regional pilot for a while. So after you get your 
CFI rating. That's where you can instruct. Certified flight instructor. Mm-hmm. Is it certified? Yeah, certified. Okay. Not, not certificated. <laughs> that is a word, though. I looked it up. And it I is have, a word, right, yes. My question is to you guys, what do you do? Like, there's probably only so many uh, flight instructor jobs around the country. And if, if everyone basically needs to do it to gain hours, mm-hmm. it's probably so difficult to but get these. Most of those people end up teaching at the school that they learned at. It's kind of... Uh, <laughs> This sounds bad, but it's like a Ponzi. A one scheme. for one. It's like a Ponzi scheme. It's it's like you you get your ratings and then you stay at the school mm-hmm. and get other people their ratings. But if you if you think about where where airlines are pulling from, the majors are pulling from the regionals, and the regionals have to backfill, so they're pulling from the flight schools. And if the flight schools mm-hmm. don't have enough people, then all of a sudden you see where it breaks. This this house of cards is all built up. The, the biggest fish eats first, which is the the majors. And then again, the, right. the regionals feed from CFIs. So if you don't have people backfilling those positions, this could be a, a huge issue going forward in the next 15 years, 10 to 15 years. If we can't get enough people interested in going to the flight schools to begin with, then they're not going to become those CFIs and they're not going to fill into the regionals. And then the majors are not going to have a pool to hire from. This is this is a this is a crisis. I, I I'm not trying to be draconian here, but th- this this is a right. major crisis that is only going to get worse if we can't figure out how to fix it and encourage people to get into the industry. And the side effects are going to be less flights because there's less pilots, probably more wide bodies, so that you know they could take people in you know five flights from here to New York mm-hmm. instead of ten. Yeah. You know, and, and sorry, whatever. sorry to the listeners that we keep talking about this, but this it just keeps <laughs> it keeps popping up in the news. It keeps coming back. It, yeah, it keeps coming back. It's like that circular runway article that, <laughs> that just keeps coming back. <laughs> yeah, Greg was talking about some circular hangar yeah. in Miami that one of the airlines used that he would want to work for, and I was like, oh yeah, like a circular runway yeah. that can ha- you know handle more planes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For those of you that haven't seen this, go on. I think it's Mashable. It's Mashable. So every six months, they post it on Twitter. It's, it's not, a circular runway. It's not every six months. I, I think <laughs> Flight Radar, their Twitter feed last year had a, a bar graph, and it said number mm-hmm. of times that Mashable has re-released this article. <laughs> I think it first came out in like 2016, and it was like three times. And last year, I want to say it was like 45 yeah. times they, they re-released <sighs> this article talking about this circular runway concept (laughs) it's it's so ridiculous but (laughs) if you had a circular runway right if you just had one circular runway then you could take off in any direction it wouldn't matter what any direction where the winds are coming from yeah it's you know it's a good good concept well and if your brakes fail or if you need longer runway it's kind of endless right because it keeps going (laughs) and then the airport's in the middle so you just like turn in where your gates are yeah well, uh, we I I digress. <laughs> this next story is actually two articles that are quite contradictory. Something that we need to explore further, Drew. This first one is from CNBC. It's titled "European carriers are flying thousands of near empty planes this winter just to keep their airport slots." And the article from Reuters is titled "No issue with EU airport slot rule. No sign of ghost flights." EU says. According to European airlines, they're forced to fly empty flights all around Europe to ensure that they don't lose their slots at airports in Europe. Use it or lose it slots have become a hot topic of late, especially with environmental protections creeping into aviation in recent years. Essentially, slots at heavily used European airports are so valuable 
that airlines are claiming they're operating empty flights in order to retain those slots, which will be forfeited if they don't meet certain use constraints. Lufthansa claims it has canceled 33,000 flights this winter due to Omicron and regional restrictions, but yet it's had to operate 18,000 flights to ensure its slots stay protected, nearly 3,000 of which have been empty. Meanwhile, the EU is not offering relief on the slot rolls, and they claim they see no ghost flights or flights like what Lufthansa claims are operating empty just to retain slots once demand returns. From our perspective, it's an unnecessary fuss. We actually have no evidence from any airline, including Lufthansa, on any amount of empty flights being operated, said one EU official. Drew, what what gives? Why why is there such a discrepancy between what the airlines are saying and, and what the EU is saying? Well, first of all, I know what the e, the CEO officials' aviation dad joke is. What's the difference between an airline CEO and a jet engine? It, the whining. It stops whining. <laughs> well, and I'm not saying it's whining because we don't have all the details, but this is what I found, Doug. The EU has reduced the slots that they have to use during this time because there's a depressed air travel mm-hmm. down to 50%. Yeah. So they're helping, right? Mm-hmm. 50%. And then summer of 2020, 2022, this summer, they'll have to use 80% of the slots. And we are expecting travel to come back, right? All signs show that this summer should be good. My question is, what is their problem? You still have to maintain these slots. So they're reducing the number you have to fly by half, Mm -hmm. right? And air travel has come back more than half, right? It's not 100%, but it's more than half. Mm -hmm. I think what the EU is doing is pretty reasonable. I don't know what else the airlines want. Yeah. Well, I I just don't understand why there's this why there's this infighting that if Lufthansa claims that they've flown 3000 nearly empty flights to retain the slots and the EU is saying we we don't have any evidence showing this <laughs> we don't have any information and, yeah <laughs> so there there's got to be something something bigger here but i this has been an issue throughout maybe the empty seats adds up to that many it flights. could be yeah and and this has been and you know? yeah where Lufthansa might still operate the flight because they they say mm-hmm. it helps with our our slot constraints but they could if mm-hmm. it wasn't for the slots they could have canceled that flight and put those people on a different flight that could possibly be what's going on but this has been an issue throughout the pandemic and i, I know early on mm-hmm. airlines were saying get rid of the slot rules completely until travel comes back just let us let us keep what we have not hit the targets and that that never ended up happening from the eu but then are other airlines going to try and get in yeah. If they're re- relaxing that, and then it creates a mess a, for a when it comes mess. back up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you've got places like Heathrow that li- literally are out of space for approaches and, and airplanes on the ground when when things return. All right, Doug, we're going to uh, end the show this week in a similar fashion to how we ended a recent show, talking about airlines and wine. This is a little different, though, because it's apparently a wine airline. Wow, the best of both. <laughs> All right, Doug, what, is that, what does that even mean? <laughs> yeah, true. According to an article in Travel Noir, the world's first winery airline, Invivo Air, is set to debut this year. A New Zealand-based winery, Invivo, is launching an airline. Invivo Air is offering, in quotes, business class in every glass. It claims to be, again, in quotes, <laughs> like other airlines, only with better wine. The initial flight will launch in early 2022 aboard a 34-seat Saab 340 turboprop on a two-hour, 620-mile flight from Auckland to Queenstown. The company is currently seeking additional passengers to fill the inaugural flight. They're, re- they're seeking <laughs> additional passengers. That's your first Interested problem. Interested <laughs> parties can complete a form on the company's website <laughs> to receive details on how they can be selected to participate. 
Drew, I have so even the av- the thirty four av geeks in New Zealand are. I have them. a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to read this article because um, if you're starting off and your wa- your your airline is based on wine before safety or training or customer service, yeah. I'll wait to see. I'll wait to fly on them. Yeah, you know, I'm sure they're certificated by New Zealand and all that. Good I'm sure they are, too. but but here I here are a couple of my questions. They they claim business class in every glass and they're like other airlines mm-hmm. only with better wine it's a 34 seat sob 340 it's a loud clunky turboprop airplane that u.s airlines uh-huh. got rid of years ago and other other, other right. airlines like other airlines around the world have gotten rid of it two hours on a sob 340 you're it's it's going to be probably 30 or 31 inch seat pitch in a one two configure okay. in a one two configuration and the fact that they are seeking additional passengers to fill the inaugural flight means they haven't had it. <laughs> it's only 30. They haven't had enough interest for people on the inaugural flight. Dude, you could literally invite a few of your neighbors and fill that. Yeah. Plane, and even they don't want to yeah. go. And I've, I've, <laughs> and then my other concern is, have you been to their in vivo website? No, I haven't for their wine. No. Okay. This is another concern. So they have, these are, these are their wine choices for 2199. You can get the in vivo X Sarah, Sarah, Jessica Parker, Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> Or for $59, you can get Graham Norton's own Irish dry gin. So they're named after after celebrities. celebrities. Yeah. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know. <laughs> I honest. don't think so. No. And if if it's on a Saab 340, I, I've been on those many times. There's not really much of a galley. Where are you going to keep these all, all of these wines? There's mm-hmm. no no storage space, really. And business class in every every glass. A Saab 340 doesn't have business no, not at all. It's about as far from having business class as possible. Auckland to Queenstown. So that's not that long. I would think that's about an hour flight. So it says two. Do you really? Two hours, 620 miles. Yeah, that's yeah, right. On a prop. So 300 mm-hmm. miles. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I mean, you would have time for to savor a couple glasses of wine and a sandwich if they serve anyone. I, I know we've got some some listeners from New Zealand. Please reach out to us if you're interested in this. Uh, let, let us know your thoughts on in vivo air <laughs> and if you'll be flying from Auckland to Queenstown on the inaugural. Well, right. And if you're right, if you haven't heard of it, this is a public service announcement that you should go on their website and you can get a free ticket to Queenstown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Drew, before we go, we received another great email from a listener. Oh, thanks. You gave me the the one good email because the other ones were complaints, (laughs) (laughs) which gave us material. So thank you for those complaints. (laughs) This is from Daniel. He said, I'm an Australian who recently moved from Melbourne to San Francisco for my master's degree and have been an av geek all my life. I still have about 18 of your episodes to listen to and hope it isn't too much of a deduction against my Avgi creds. No, it's fine, Dan. We all you know, listen to it on your own time. It was especially great to listen to you over the recent holiday season during which it was too expensive to travel home. It was wonderful to have you guys keeping me company in podcast form. I have always loved all things aviation, airlines, and airports and have learned so much from your industry perspectives. Thanks so much for your wonderful work. It's been great getting to know both of you on the podcast. Wow, thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks, Dan. That's great. And and in the email, he also said that he left Australia in 2021. So he was there during the the big lockdown. And he said that he would be happy to give us some information, just a a quick story about what it was like getting out of Australia and and what it was like being there during the lockdown. Oh, well, okay. Well, Dan, we may be reaching out to you to see if you want to come on the show and tell everyone your story. Sounds fascinating. 
Yeah, Dan, thanks for listening. To our listeners, this podcast is your show, so go on our website, nexttripnetwork.com, let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners, including Francis and Aaron. <laughs> and by the way, these guys are our friends. Yeah. You know, so we appreciate. I mean, this is honest feedback. All right. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. European Aviation... Uh, oh, shoot. What does it stand for, Doug? I know it's a YASA. We'll yeah, come back to it. European Aviation <laughs> Safety Administration. Yas agency. Yeah, agency. Yes, <laughs> it's yeah, it's Europe's version of the FAA. Yeah, it's Europe's version of the FAA. Hold on.